Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This week we're talking about Absalom, Adonijah, and Solomon. Because I've been studying Solomon, one of my heroes in Scripture, since I was 13 years old. Okay? So this, is, this has to be the last message of my first 10 years at this church. All right? And some of you are going to be shocked by the title, maybe even bothered by the title. And so I'm just going to drop it on you like a bomb. Okay? Narcissists, posers, and geniuses. This is what we're talking about. Narcissists, posers, and geniuses. There is something with all of my heart, I believe, God created you to do. That if he told you today what it was, and he showed you the scope of it, and don't think numerically, think spiritually. If he showed you the scope of it, the weight of it, the responsibility of it, it would freak you out. And with all of my heart, I believe the God of the universe wants to divinely enable you to do it. You were not designed to do it all by yourself in your own human strength. My desire since I was 13 was to be like Solomon. And as I've gotten older, the Lord's been talking to me about Absalom and Adonijah, that I'll never be able to pull Solomon off if I allow myself to ever be like Absalom or Adonijah. Here's another way to say it. You'll you'll never be able to pull off the call of God on your life as a narcissist. God won't allow it. You won't be able to pull it off as a poser. Really, in my opinion, the only chance you have is to do it as the divinely enabled genius. And you'll learn more about this phrase when we get into point number three, talking about Solomon. But before we jump into the message, I just have to slide this out there because some of us, we love to call people names and give them labels. So we look around the people in our lives and we go, this message is going to be about the Absalom in my life and I'm going to listen for them. And then when we get to Solomon, that's about me, and I'm going to listen for me. No, 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 this message isn't about the Absaloms and Adonijahs in your life. It's actually about the Absalom and Adonijah in you. And here's one of, here's one of my rules, if you're kind of a name caller, a label maker. If you can't see the Absalom in yourself, you are not qualified to point it out in others. An unhealthy person easily sees the evil in everyone else. A healthy person can consistently spot the evil in themselves. So please, as we go through these first two points especially, please don't listen for somebody else. I'm not trying to give you a name or a label to put on somebody that annoys you in your life. I'm actually trying to put a name and a label on something in you and me that annoys God. Point number one. I've been so excited. When you get to spend time with the Lord, I don't know if y'all know, I get kind of paid to spend time with the Lord. It's just fun once you get up here. Point number one. The narcissist never wins in the long run. Let me for one second just speak to the young people in the room. I get on social media and I see these really successful businessmen and women and they're teaching young people that kind of half of the battle to be successful in business is to be a narcissist because everybody wants to follow the big persona. 
Yes, somebody needs to get on that social media page and go, this is a joke. Nobody likes to follow that man, that woman. You might be thinking, what's a narcissist? Well, there's not really a, a, an agreed upon definition for this term, so I'm just going to give you one. Narcissists are people in love with an idealized, grandiose image of themselves. Absalom was absolutely a narcissist. 2 Samuel 18 verse 18 tells us as much. Scripture says that Absalom didn't have a son to carry on his name. Here's what that means. It means once he died, the only way to read about him would be, the only way to hear about him would be to read about him. Okay? So here's what our guy Absalom does. He builds a 66-foot, interesting number, 66-foot monument to himself. It's called Absalom's Pillar. It's crazy. Well, I don't have anyone to carry on my name, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a monument to myself. You know you're a narcissist when, okay? A couple of things, let's jump right into it, all right? Here's the first thing as we study Absalom the narcissist. Absalom harbored hate deeply in his heart. 2 Samuel 13, 22. This is actually how we first hear about Absalom. It's in the story of his sister Tamar and his half-brother Amnon. Amnon rapes Tamar. And then this, verse 22 of 2 Samuel 13. Though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what Amnon had done to his sister. Okay, first off, never a good thing. When the first thing somebody says about you, which technically the first thing about Absalom is that he was beautiful, the second thing was that he had hate in his heart. Never a good thing when one of your friends says, hey, I'm going to try and describe you. And the first thing they say is, you have a lot of hate in your heart. Okay? Absalom, though, didn't just hate Amnon. I think one of the biggest reasons he tried to steal his father's kingdom is because he hated his father as much or more than his half-brother. Let me show it to you. One verse earlier, 2 Samuel 13, 21. When King David heard what Amnon had done to Tamar, he was furious. He was very angry. Period. He was furious, but he did nothing. And Absalom the son saw David the father do nothing justly in response to Amnon's sin. And I personally think this is part of what fueled Absalom to eventually try and steal his father's kingdom because he had hate that he was harboring in his heart. If you hate somebody, you're going to hate this next one-liner. Hate is evidence of pain. I hate to tell you. Thank you for that. Appreciate you. <laughs> hate is evidence of pain. And furthermore, it's difficult to be clear on the heart of God and the love of God in this season when you can't shake the hate you've harbored over what happened in a past season. It isn't just that you have hate for them. The longer you harbor it, the easier it will be to direct it towards God. Yeah, but Preston, you have no idea what this person did to me. You're right, I don't. You don't know how wrong it was. You're right, I don't. But not only does God know the wrong that person did to you, 
God knows the wrong you and I have done to everyone we've done wrong to. Hate grows when you obsess over what was done to you while listening to the enemy's perspective of the one who did it to you. You got to turn off that voice. It's easy to hate when you listen to the one who is the opposite of love. And his goal isn't just to get you to hate the person who did it. His ultimate goal is to get you to hate the God who allowed it, he'll say. You know you're harboring hate when the conversation you have in your heart sounds more like the earthly you than your heavenly father. Want to know one of the things I hate to hear him say to me? Preston, I know. I do not like what they did to you. But I still love them. It's hard to hear sometimes. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on you and you go, but God, who is rich in mercy and grace, I better not look too much at them and the wrong they did to me. I need to remember. I need Jesus too. Second thing, Absalom manipulated people. Absalom the narcissist manipulated people. The narcissist's primary gifting is manipulation. Let's read it. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 2 through 6. Absalom got up every morning early and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from. And they would tell him their tribe. Okay, pause there. Get the picture. He's small talking at the gate. Hey, where are you from? Oh, you like the Cardinals, do you? Even though he was a Cowboys fan and he hates the Cardinals. <laughs> Absalom was like, I'm a Cardinals fan too. He's small talking at the gate, trying to make people feel like he thought they were on the same level as himself. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. Notice, this is another reason why I think he was so mad at his father he didn't say, I want to be king at first. He said, I want to be the judge. And if it was me, I'd give out justice. And I just wonder if he wasn't thinking all that time, I'll give what my dad didn't give, justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them, which was a sign of respect, something you would do for royalty. They would try and bow, he would lift them up. Again, acting like he saw them as equals. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. Watch this next line. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. I'm about to give you one of the most scary one-liners in my line of work. And some of you might be a little startled by it, but this is one of the scariest things I've learned in ministry about manipulation. A hurting human heart is easier to manipulate than the world's softest clay. This is one of the scariest things about my job. This is why I and any other pastor 
any other minister, anytime you are being entrusted by the God of the universe to help heal, be a part of the healing process of a hurting human heart, this is why you and I need to be thinking and understanding that the God of the universe is going like this. Every time I sit down with a human heart that is hurting, knowing that in my flesh I could manipulate the fire out of them, that is scary. Some of you are like, I can't even believe Preston's talking like this. Listen, if you don't recognize it, you run the risk of doing it. So I have to talk about it. And I got to say it on stage so that I can be publicly held accountable for it. And not just by you. I wish it was just by you. It's by the God of the universe. Every time he entrusts a hurting human heart into these hands. With all my heart, I believe God's going. Preston, I will cut you 7,000 ways to Sunday if you hurt this. Don't you hurt him. Don't you hurt her. I'm her father. I'm her daddy. I'm his daddy. But Absalom was a king when it came to manipulation. Absalom was flattering or appeasing the people. Problem is, appeasing the people is one of the fastest ways to displease God. To please the people, you have to walk in the flesh. But to please the Father, you have to walk by the Spirit. Absalom didn't care about any of that. He wanted the people's vote. So he was more than willing to walk in the flesh and manipulate any and every human heart. And the easiest ones were the hurting ones. Here's the third thing. Absalom saw the throne as something to steal. Absalom saw the throne as something to steal. 2 Samuel 15, verses 9 and 10. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. Notice, Absalom wasn't going into the secret place. He was sending out secret messengers to try and stir up a rebellion. Another way to say it, to get the people to help him steal the throne. Let's just talk about how this affects you and me. Absalom wanted the throne, but God didn't give it to him. So what do you do when you want something God won't give you? You have two choices. You either wait or you steal. If you want something God doesn't want you to have, you're going to have to steal it. But just know this, anything you steal is most likely going to be stolen from you. You manipulate in the flesh how to get that job you're trying to get and God doesn't give it to you, enjoy it while you can because somebody else will probably steal it from you. Listen, at this stage, at 44, this stage of my life, I don't want to steal anything. I would rather wait longer than you and receive what others are willing to steal. It's just not worth it. But Absalom wasn't only willing to steal it, he enlisted the help of the people because he wanted the throne. The flesh desires to steal what the spirit decides not to give. 
Point number two, let's talk about Adonijah. The poser never gets to stay for the long haul. The poser represents the faker. You'll see that about David's son, Adonijah. Let's jump right into a quick study of his life. First, Adonijah was entangled in entitlement. 1 Kings 1 verse 5. About that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. Okay, this is exactly what entitlement sounds like. I'll just do it myself then. Okay, why did Adonijah have to talk like this? Because he wasn't king, he wanted to be king, and nobody was talking about him being king. So he had to say, you know what? I want to be king. I'm not king. None of you are all talking about me being king. I'm going to make myself king. Let me talk to the millennials for a moment. Please hear my heart. I do not operate under the, the thought that all millennials are entitled. I've heard people say that before. I disagree. What I would submit to you if you're a millennial is that it's entirely possible there's an entitlement spirit in operation among your generation. So I'll tell you the same thing I tell my kids if you're a millennial. You have a chance to destroy it in your lifetime. If you will walk humbly before your God and before man, you could crush it in this life. If you will go without a spirit of entitlement, because it's everywhere around you, it's everywhere around us. If I want it, I deserve it. This is what Adonijah said. But then I'll just make myself king. Nobody's going to do it for me. I'll just do it myself. Here's the danger of entitlement. And this is one of my favorite one-liners of this message. It is extremely dangerous to convince yourself you deserve something you were not designed for. Ha! <laughs> Sometimes he just drops those and you're like, you just got to shake your head a little bit. Preston, don't you dare get sucked into the dangerous thought process. Just because you desire something, you deserve it. Don't do it. Look, 1 Kings 1.6. Next verse, Adonijah had been born next after Absalom. This is part of why Adonijah felt entitled. He was the next in line. In other words, he had good reason. And I've heard that before. Well, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, and this has happened to me. This is the least God could do for me with everything I've been through, everything he's put me through. Dangerous talk. When you think something is rightfully yours, just like Adonijah, don't be surprised if God painfully reminds you everything is his. What's great about this message is this is like a, a 22 year, I've been ministry 22 years, like a 22 year spanking reel. This is what this message feels like. I know you don't get that, but it just feels like that to me. I've, I've gotten so many spankings over these one-liners, so I hope you're enjoying them. Here's another great one. The first step to stealing something is convincing yourself you are entitled to it. It's the first step. I would never steal anything. You think you're entitled to anything? Odds are higher than you probably think that you might at some point one day, if you fixate too long on what you feel you're entitled to, go steal it. Here's the second thing. When we study Adonijah, the poser, and this is where we really get into the posing, Adonijah overemphasized perception. 
I try not to harp on social media. It always gets me in trouble, but I'm just trying to set it like this, okay? I promise I don't hate social media, but I'm not afraid to say I do hate what it does to some people. Not all people, just some people. Here's what you have to understand about the lifestyle of a poser. The poser's number one concern is how they are perceived. I will just tell you, if this was my number one concern, I would have quit about seven years ago. I mean, really and truly, and Paul pretty much said that. He's like, if pleasing people was my goal, I wouldn't be doing this. I feel the same way. The poser's number one fixation in life is how they are perceived. Watch what Adonijah does. First Kings 1, chapter 1, verse 5. So he provided himself, he bought for himself chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Adonijah, no one was talking about him being king. He pays 50 people to follow him around and say, long live King Adonijah. This is social media before social media was even a thing. Like, this is it. Like, you think I'm kidding. When Twitter first became a thing, I'm not going to throw out any names because some of my friends might be watching this. But some of my friends went from 800 followers on Twitter, and in one day, they went to 10,800 followers on Twitter. I'm not calling them out. They're not even on Twitter anymore. It's the principle of the matter. They paid to have 10,000 bot followers follow them. Why? Well, why would anybody do it? I guess for the appearance. Because surely I have to be a better leader if 10,800 people are following me. Can we just talk about numbers for a minute? I'm way over time already, but can we just talk about numbers for one minute? Do you think anybody who was there to see the miracle of the fish and the loaves went away talking about the number? You should come to every service. I love this man. No! Nobody went. Nobody counted. They all went away and go, did you see what happened? The son of God did something no human could do. They didn't take the clicker out and count how many ate. The disciples did that one. <laughs> That's another sermon, though. <laughs> if you struggle with the perception of man, this is for you. How man sees you will constantly change hour by hour. Be more focused on how the God who never changes sees you. Build your life on that, not on them. The potential of your life is grossly limited when you make what man sees more important to you than what only God sees. But don't go too far. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me say, Hey, don't go around saying, I don't care what you think. I don't care what people think. That's actually how the insecure talk. The secure sons and daughters of God most high talk like this. It's okay no matter what you think. It's okay. Whatever your perception of me is, it's okay. And it's not because I don't care about you. I just care far more about how God sees me than how you do. So when someone comes up to me in the lobby and says, 
I don't like your shoes. I just say, my kids don't either. <laughs> and then in my heart I say, Lord, I'm pretty sure you're not talking about my shoes right now. And I just move on. It's okay no matter what they think. Why? Because at one point in my life, I was addicted to the perception of man. And I hardly ever slept well. And I like to sleep. So I had to kill my fear of what you think of me. Here's the third thing. When we talk about Adonijah, Adonijah the poser lacked accountability. Posers always lack accountability. Here's why. Because if they let people too close, they will see that the show is just that. It's not real. Look what scripture says about him. 1 Kings 1 verse 6. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined Adonijah at any time. He never even asked Adonijah, why are you doing that? He never even knew what accountability was. Of course he was a poser. No one ever got close enough to ask him why he was putting on a show. Here's kind of my definition of accountability. Accountability is giving someone you trust the access to see what others won't, as well as the ability to say what others can't. This is fun. I'm going to say it again, because I live too long without this. Accountability is giving someone you trust the access to see what others won't, as well as the ability to say what others can't. A me without accountability is a me who can live in a preferred reality regardless of the truth. When I keep accountability at bay, I can live a lie. When you push accountability away, you can live a lie. We have to let people close enough to see what others won't and give them the ability to say what others can't. It's easiest to lie to yourself when you are not accountable to anyone else. If Adonijah would have had true accountability, I think it would have saved his life. Someone would have told him, hey bud, you're not a king. And I know this is gonna be hard to hear, but you're good at pretending to be one. But does not appear to me that you were anointed to be one. See, accountability talks truth. This is why so many people push it away. Adonijah did, ended up getting him killed. Point number three, let's talk about my hero and wrap this bad boy up. Let's talk about Solomon. The divinely enabled genius gets the wins and gets to stay. It's the best part of the story. The divinely enabled genius gets the wins. Remember, narcissist never wins in the long run. The poser doesn't get to stay for the long haul. The divinely enabled genius, not the genius, the divinely enabled genius gets the wins and gets to stay. Let's take a look very quickly at Solomon. 
First, Solomon took instruction well. It's one of my favorite things about Solomon. If you're in 1 Kings 3, now let's look together. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David. Great way to start. This is different than Absalom. Solomon had hate in his heart, Scripture says. Welcome to, I mean, Absalom. Welcome to Absalom's life. Solomon, on the other hand, loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father. What was one of the most important decrees? Oh, it was one of the things his father David told him just before he died. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David says, Solomon, my son, and I'm going to paraphrase right now. I'm going I'm to interject some things that are just inferences. Solomon, I could tell you how to be the richest man in the world because I'm going to go down in history as the one who made the single most extravagant offering in the history of humanity. I could teach you how to be the richest man in the world. I could tell you right now. I could tell you how to be known as Israel's greatest king. But I'm not. I could tell you how to be one of the most talked about warriors on the battlefield. But I won't. Solomon, if I could only tell you one thing, here it is. Get to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. See, we just read right over this. This is one of the biggest reasons why intimacy is one of our values on the wall in the lobby. But, but, but please, if, if you're trying to become a better learner, and, and don't ever forget, one of the best ways to become a great leader is to be an even better learner. If you want to be a better learner, remember this right here. Never overlook what takes a person a moment to say, but took them a lifetime to learn. David spent his whole life learning. This is the most important thing. And I address it like it was to me. Preston, I'm going to tell you this one thing. I could tell you how to be the richest man in the world. I could tell you how to be the best warrior on the battlefield. I could tell you how to be known as the greatest leader ever, but I'm not going to. Preston, I'm going to tell you the key to my entire life. Get to know the God of the universe intimately. Solomon took instruction well because scripture breathed out by God goes on record and says here's how we're going to start talking about Solomon he was a man that loved his God why because his daddy told him to not by saying because I said so but because his daddy said this is the most important thing I ever learned in my life. The best mentors don't hesitate to tell you the secrets God has showed them. Great apprentices don't hesitate to apply them. But the best apprentices refuse not to live them. One of the best gifts, I, I get asked a lot, how do, how do you get a great mentor? How do I get a great mentor? Learn how to give a mentor's favorite gift to them. You know what it is? Don't just listen to the truth they give you. Live it. Live it. I don't just take notes when I get to sit down with my heroes. The kind of notes that have to be written with a pen on paper. 
my heroes know, who've been mentoring me for years, when we sit down, I take out the tattoo needle. When they say things, it took them a lifetime to learn. I want to be like Solomon. I want to take instruction well. You want to be a divinely enabled genius? You got to start here. Here's the next thing. Solomon was self-aware. Solomon was self-aware. Let's keep going. First Kings chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, I, I skipped some verses. All right, so uh, if you know the story, Solomon starts off his reign as king with a thousand sacrifices to God. And God comes to him that night and he goes, tell me what you want, bro. Ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Watch this. Solomon replies, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to my father today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I'm like a little boy who doesn't know his way around. This verse is above my door that I see every time I walk out to preach. First Kings 3, verse 7. I am but a boy, and I don't know my way around. Verse 8, Solomon says, And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they can't even be counted. God, would you give me an understanding heart? Give me wisdom so that I can govern your people well, the way they deserve to be led, and so that I can know the difference between right and wrong, for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Here's my paraphrase. This is one of the greatest things I feel like the Lord taught me early on, because if you're a young leader, I will tell you one of the most important things you're going to need is self-awareness. Solomon was absolutely self-aware. Here's how you know. Here's my paraphrase of what he says to God. God says, ask me for anything. And the first words out of Solomon's mouth, he goes, Lord, let's be real. On my merit, I don't belong in this seat. The only reason I get to sit here is you made a deal with my daddy. If you want the theological way to say that, the Davidic covenant. Solomon said, on my merit, I don't belong in this seat. And I fully understand, God, that the reason I'm in this seat is because you made a deal with my daddy. And I'm just a boy. And I don't know my way around the way my dad did. So I need wisdom. The kind of wisdom that only comes from you so that I can lead this amazing people of yours the way they deserve to be led. <laughs> I, I think... If it's possible, God might have been doing somersaults as Solomon was saying this. This is one of the most incredible requests in all of Scripture. Preston, how do you know? Because we see one of the most incredible responses God gives in all of Scripture. This week as I was studying this, because I've asked the Lord multiple times, Lord, will you touch my mind? Sometimes I can't handle all these thoughts. We just touch my mind. We expand it. Will you divinely enable it? And this week, this is something I felt like the Lord just, just said that was so great for all of us. And don't, don't just rush right past it. It's genius. Capital G. He said, Preston, long before Solomon was ever the wisest man who ever lived, 
He wasn't. I did that. He did not. And when I did, then he was. I have never noticed it like that before. I know God gave him wisdom, but I'm not going to lie. When you read through Ecclesiastes, you're like, man, Solomon, he's a genius. And I get stuck in he just, he was created that way. He wasn't created that way. He was divinely enabled that way because he knew he needed it. And that's why God gave it to him. We talk about self-awareness. You can't ask for something if you don't know you need it. You can't learn something you think you already know. And you can't change something annoying about yourself when you think it's anointed by God. I need self-awareness. You need self-awareness. It's part of how he keeps us humble. He doesn't get me fixated on my flaws. He just helps me remember I have them. And that's why I need him even more. Here's the third thing, the last point of the last message of the first decade of our church. What I'm gonna bank the rest of my life on. Solomon knew the importance or secret of God's pleasure. 1 Kings 3, verses 10 through 13. The Lord was pleased. I really hope you don't read past those four words. Those are some of the most important words in the Bible. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, Solomon, such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for. I will give you riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. God gave Solomon the opportunity because of his extravagant sacrifice. But God gave Solomon his extravagant response based on Solomon's one request. Never, ever underestimate how God will respond when he is pleased. Please don't ever convince yourself, well, God doesn't care. One of the cries of my heart is to see the look on his face when he is pleased. It's one of my favorite things when I preach. It used to be back in the day when I was extremely insecure, walking off the stage and you telling me I did a good job. We're way past that now by God's grace. Now, it's when I walk off, I look at his face and I just wanna see him go. Some of y'all think it's impressive that I go stand out there as a senior pastor and greet everybody as they leave. Don't be impressed by that. You should actually be impressed that sometimes when I look at his face and he gives me a look, I'm so undone, I can hardly stand out there and face you. Because I am addicted to the pleasure of God. The key to my life for the rest of my life, I have decided is going to be the pleasure of God. Not the pleasure of man. I just want God to be pleased with me 
and us. And that will do anything to make it happen. Ecclesiastes 2.26, just a sweet little promise from God in his word. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.